Season 1, Episode 4 of the Talking Ball Y'all Podcast. On this episode, we will get an update from the Pearl River Central Blue Devils spring football game. Also, we will get into the NCAA baseball action as the conference tournaments will be getting underway this week. Our spotlight interview will feature the head baseball coach of the Southeastern Louisiana Lions, Matt Reiser. <laughs> Ooh, man, it should be a lot of fun. Welcome to Episode 4 of Talking Ball, y'all. This episode is brought to you by Robertson Brothers. They're located at 617 Highway 11 in Picayune. Give them a call at 601-799-1220. Also, look them up on the web at robertsonbrothersusedcars.com. And, Clay, we can tell people out there listening right now that they can uh, pick up the Talking Ball, y'all podcast on iTunes. Click on iTunes and subscribe. And also... We are located on SoundCloud.com, and we are also uh, located at our website. What's our website, Clay? Uh, TalkingBall.net, and that's TalkingBall.net. And uh, like Josh and Jeremy and the good folks over at Robertson Brothers have become our uh, sponsor, you can do the same by going through our website on TalkingBall.net. We also are active on social media um, through Talking Balls. Talking Ball, y'all's Facebook page. Uh, Jeff has an account on Twitter. I have an account on Twitter. You can find those in the About section of our website. And, and if you're listening to us, we would ask our audience, our listening audience, if they could uh, share on social media and just help us get the word out about the podcast. We've been really overwhelmed by uh, the success and the listener numbers that we see through the first three episodes we're on episode four we're based here in south mississippi here in picayune and pearl river county we try to do a good job of touching on local stuff um, but also covering the whole state tonight we'll actually go out of state some with a local guy that's gone over to what they call hammond america over (laughs) there in uh, southeastern louisiana we'll have a chance to talk to Head baseball coach Matt Riser will dive a little deeper into Mississippi State's big weekend that they had this past weekend at Florida. So we will try to uh, cover the state the best that we can do, and we'll have a good time in doing it. So if you want to be a part of it, um, you know, you can send uh, questions, messages, or whatever on social media. And then you can also, as Jeff has described, there is a sponsor form out on talkingball.net. Um, so uh, we appreciate uh, the support, and we would ask, uh, as our listening audience out there, if you could share it uh, any way that you can so we can drum up some more ears and eyes and uh, so that more uh, people can either enjoy or make fun of, whichever one. <laughs> we'll All take- attention's good <laughs> attention right. at this point. It don't so. matter if it's good or bad as long as they're talking about us. That's right. That's right. Well, let's get this roundtable uh Part of the podcast started, Clay. We're going to head just about 10 minutes north up to Pro River Central Blue Devils this past Saturday night, or I say Saturday night, Saturday afternoon during uh, during the afternoon The hour. heat of the day, the Jacob. Heat of, the heat of Coach the day. Owen That's starting right. out in the heat of the day. I like it. They had their spring game. They actually did a blue versus white scrimmage. No outside teams, just uh, them and their own up there. And uh, let's go up right now and have a quick word uh, with Eli Oder, voice of the Pro River Central Blue Devils. We're joined now uh, for a word from the Pearl River Central Blue Devils spring game. We have the voice of the Pearl River Central Blue Devils from the local radio station, WRJW, uh, joining us, Eli Oder. Eli, just uh, talk a little bit about what you've seen 
from the blue and white, and, and, I, and it was a blue and white scrimmage uh, up at Prover Central. They kind of scrimmaged with each other. But uh, tell me a little bit what you've seen uh, of, from this ball club this past Saturday. Well, uh, you know, Clay, Jeff, thanks, first of all, for having me on. Uh, first and foremost, it was it was almost uh, like a, a, hot Friday, a hot Friday night in August. The conditions <laughs> were very hot uh, there on Saturday. They, they kicked things off about 3.30 in the afternoon, right in the heat of the day. But, uh, you know, the first thing that really stood out to me was uh, just, the, just the, the intensity um, and, the, and the level of effort that the kids were given. They were playing with a lot of passion. They were flying around. You know, early on, as kind of the game went on, you know, it started to kind of wear down a little bit. But, uh, you know, it's first and foremost, uh, the, the, the most of the things that really stood out to me was just uh, how hard the kids were playing early on. Eli, um, I, will, I listen. I appreciate the job that y'all did. It was entertaining. Got old uh, gunslinger Wyatt Davis in there, former quarterback uh, for the Blue Devils. So uh, I appreciated y'all's coverage of the game. Eli, just tell us um, some guys that impressed y'all as a crew that uh, kind of stood out or shined on uh, Saturday's action. Well, first of all, I think it was you know, doing the blue and white format like uh, Coach Owen decided to do. It was an opportunity for him to, to get a real good look at, at younger players and, and players across the board, you know, mixing the teams up like that. Uh, the blue team and the white team went after each other in a full – uh, four-quarter football game, regulation football game. They didn't have any special teams or anything. But, you know, those who kind of really stood out to me was uh, on, on the white side of the house was uh, Calvin Briggs, of course, uh, you know, was the transfer now from Purvis last year, came in and, and, and ran the ball pretty hard on the offensive side of the ball. And uh, he was real impressive in the spring game on Saturday as well. Probably if I had to, to really stat line him out, probably had somewhere between 100 and 100. 20, 130 yards rushing overall uh, in that contest, and uh, and and also had um, yeah uh, played very well on the defensive side of the football as well. He was a, a two-way starter, went, went on both sides, and then uh, also uh, Noah McKay again uh, was a big defensive lineman, turning starter for for the Blue Devils. He, he had a solid day there on the white side. Uh, they had a, um, a underclassman under center, which was uh, uh, Duke was his name. I can't remember his first name um, off the top of my head. I don't have a roster in front of me either, guys. But um, having having opportunity to see a lot of these younger kids and younger younger players was really, really good. On the blue side um, was, uh, was was Ty Herring. You're going to hear his name quite a bit. He, he stood out. He was all over the field on both sides of the football. And, uh, and then also uh, uh, DJ Ruff and a uh, Deontay James, uh, two two players that, that really stood out. Ruff's a big kid, uh, really good looking athlete. Played but played tight end on offense, played defensive end on defense. Uh, he was really all over the football field. He, you're going to hear his name quite a bit on, on Friday night. He's a junior. This um, he looks the part. Mm-hmm. Uh, James kid was was uh, was a running back. He came in uh, behind. Cameron Brunson, who, who started the game. Cameron Cameron managed the offense pretty well. Uh, turned around and handed off in the wing tee quite a bit. James stood out. He had couple, several nice runs. I will say this, guys, though, that the, uh, the defenses were uh, as they should be, especially mm-hmm. with a new system and, and a new under a new head coach. 
the defenses were well ahead of the offenses, um, especially when you talk about the uh, the amount of time they've had. Only the system's only been in place for about four or five weeks in spring training. The defense really stood out on both sides, the blue and the white. Let me ask you one more, Eli, and then uh, we know your time's valuable. We appreciate uh, you joining us. Uh, during the broadcast, I, I wasn't able to, to finish with y'all, but I did hear that there were going to be steaks or hot dogs fed. So I got to know, man, which coaching staff and, and which kids ate steaks and which had the hot dogs? Well, the white team prevailed in the game, and that was uh, that was Coach Benton. Chris Benton uh, was, was leading up the charge on that side. In fact, you know, it was a really, it was really a good game. Uh, the blue team had a chance to, to tie the game. Actually, did tie the game uh, up, or a chance to tie the game up late in the in the third quarter, just before. Uh, excuse me, late in the fourth quarter, just before the end of the game, and uh, had a had a touchdown run called back. Cameron Brunson broke loose on a on a long run, and it was called back for a block in the back. But uh, a good coaching moment, nonetheless. Um, for, for one of the players out there on the field, Coach Owen took the opportunity to coach him up after that play. Uh, kind of was was not really a factor in the play. It was kind of down right. the field, out, outside of way that didn't really impact the play. And, uh, we were kind of hoping that that was going to going to stand. And then uh, we asked Coach Owen after it was all set and done. You know, I was wondering he didn't really have a side, so I, I was wondering if he was going to. He was going to uh, side with the white team who won the game and going to have steak, or <laughs> he was going to eat crow and have hot dogs. He just looked me in the eye and told me that, hey, you know what? He's going to have both. So, uh, he likes both of them. Oh, man. And, uh, well, I imagine that steak tastes pretty good to Coach Pitton on the other side. So, <laughs> <laughs> Coach, uh, yeah. Eli, we sure appreciate you joining us, man, and we hope to make it a habit of this uh, through next football season. We appreciate your coverage of the Blue Devils, and uh, thanks again for your time, sir. Well, well, I appreciate it. And, guys, one final thought before before we leave here is that, uh, you know, we, we, we're really excited about Coach Owen having him uh, up in career, and, and we're real excited about the upcoming season. And we, we think that uh, we believe that, that through the, the spring training, uh, workouts and the summer workouts and preparation going into the 2018 season that there's, there's going to be a lot of reason to be excited there in Carrier for the Blue Devils. So I uh, just want to leave you guys on that note. Well, we certainly feel the same way. And uh, thanks again, Eli. Thanks, Eli. Bye, right, guys. And that was Eli Oder, uh, voice of the Prover Central Blue Devils, talking to us right there. Also has the radio coverage, as we mentioned in that interview from WRJW. You can also find Pro Over Central Blue Devil games on WRJWradio.com and the WRJW app coming up uh, this fall, starting in August. It should be a good season up there. Uh, me and you both know uh, Coach Owens. We call him Jacob. It's hard to call him Coach Owens sometimes, but uh, Coach Jacob Owens, uh, newly uh, head coach right there at Pro Over Central. We know him well, and I think uh, I think that program is going to be in good hands, Lou. Yep, uh, Coach Owen there with uh, the Blue Devils in his first year. There was actually a nice piece about the Blue Devils and Coach Owen out today on social media on SES. Um, they did a good job. SES Sports, I want to say, um, did a really good, nice piece on him coming back home to be the head coach there. So that that should be a lot of fun to follow along with Eli and that crew. I'm sure they'll do a good job covering the Blue Devils. Uh, we will be covering uh, the Popperville Hornets on that same uh, location, WRJW 
Uh.com. So good local coverage. The Maroon Tide, of course, will be covered there as well with Kerry and his crew. So we'll have Pearl River County uh, locked down when it gets around the football season. And, of course, our podcast will go football heavy. Football is the king in the south and in, in south Mississippi. So we will go football heavy when we get into August. We'll do this podcast, maybe one more, and then take a summer break and then crank back up with football coverage. And we will have beat writers and coaches to uh, break down all of the action. We're really excited about uh, the football coverage that we're going to be able to provide to our listeners. Yep, and when you say all the coverage, uh, we're talking local. Uh, the, the three local uh, schools, we're going to dip over to Hancock, talk to them some. We're going to dip over and uh, talk uh, to some people about college football. We got, like you said, we're going to have beat writers coming from the top of the state all the way down at the three uh, D1 schools here here in the state. So uh, it should be a lot of fun come uh, come August. And speaking of um, D1, we're talking about NCAA baseball, Clay. Uh, there again, we're going to start at the top and work our way down. Uh, Ole Miss, uh, the Ole Miss – uh, Rebels is get going into conference play this weekend. Looks like they're going in as the number two seed. Get a buy from the to, uh, games on Tuesday, and they're just kind of waiting to see who they're going to play uh, when they do play on Wednesday. Yep, looks like they will get the winner of the Auburn uh, Kentucky game. Is who Ole Miss will have over in the SEC tournament in Hoover, Alabama. Ole Miss has certainly earned that two seed, and um, and probably the best baseball conference in the country, probably shouldn't even say probably, the best baseball country uh, conference in the country. Ole Miss, the two seed. Florida, of course, the one seed. Ole Miss, when you look at their year, have just been dominant. 42-14 and 14 overall record. Finished SEC play 18-12. and 12. So this is a really good Ole Miss uh, squad, depending on what they do. And Hoover, you would think that they're going to have a pretty high national seed going into the NCAA tournament. Over this past weekend, they won two out of three against Alabama. So Ole Miss is in a really good place uh, going into SEC tournament action. And as you said, don't have to participate in that uh, first round. We'll actually just sit and wait for their Wednesday game, and they will get the winner of Auburn and Kentucky. Yep, and the first uh, the first round games is, is- – Clay just mentioned the Tuesday games are single elimination, and then it starts a double elimination tournament on Wednesday. So the top four seeds have a bye into the double elimination that starts Wednesday. So they're just kind of playing it out uh, Tuesday to to see who will you know who they will face uh, going on throughout the conference uh, conference tournament. And also, Clay, just a, a heads up that all of the early round action the quarterfinals and the semifinals game for the sec tournament can be seen on the sec network and then the espn2 will air the championship game on sunday so all of your sec baseball tournament action will be on the sec network and then also espn2 will have the championship game uh, as we coming you know coming our way down south mississippi state uh coming off of a hot weekend uh, before we dive into what me and you are going to talk about, uh, Mississippi State going into the conference tournament, we had a chance to sit down and talk to Brett Hudson, Mississippi State beat writer from the Commercial Dispatch. So let's uh, let's uh, have a quick listen to see what Brett had to say. 
We've got Brett Hudson with the Commercial Dispatch. He's a beat writer for Mississippi State up in that neck of the woods, up in Start Vegas area. And uh, Brett, we appreciate you taking time for the podcast tonight, and we appreciate your perspective on a club that you followed uh, closely all year long. And I guess, Brett, just to open things up, how in the world does Mississippi State, a team that was really – needed one win maybe to get off that bubble as a tournament team, and they sweep Florida there at home. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. And it's, uh, Well, first of all, they didn't see Brady Singer. Florida's, Florida's ace, that, that certainly helps a lot. I mean, Brady Singer came into uh, the year with buzz and things, uh, the number one draft pick, Casey Mize over at Auburn, is taking a lot of that. But it's, it's hard to imagine him falling out of, the top 15, if, if not the top 10. I mean, he, he came into the weekend leading the conference in wins and earned run average. I think he was second uh, in batting average allowed, and they didn't see him at all. Uh, so it's, it's pretty nice to, to dodge that particular bullet, but Florida wouldn't be this prohibitive national championship favorite that they are without a deep pitching staff. So they saw some really, really good pitchers. Uh, the freshman Tommy May started the Thursday night game, actually dominated State that day. They threw a guy there really high on Jack Leftwich on, on Friday. He got shelled, uh, and pretty much everybody that Florida pitched on, on Saturday got shelled. So, so you ask how Mississippi State just left the number one team in the nation, and, and the answer is extra base hit. I mean, this is a team that struggled to get on base at all in the first probably two weeks of the SEC season, much less to hit with power. And then probably around late April when they swept, well, early April, they swept Arkansas. Late April, they swept Ole Miss. They started to get on base some then, uh, and now they're they're hitting with power. I mean, just looking at the, the Florida series, uh, State racked up, I mean, double-digit extra base hits. Uh, I mean, in their last 10 games, they've had 10 homers. They're having a homer per game over their last 10 games. If you look at the 45 games before that, they were averaging roughly one home run every four games. Uh, Elijah McNamee, who is in right field for, for Mississippi State now, he didn't get much run in, in the first half of the SEC season, which absolutely baffles anyone with common sense. He, he drove in six runs in the Saturday game against Florida. He had, I think he had two doubles and, a home, and two home runs. Over the course of the of the Florida series, I mean, he was he was slugging a ridiculous clip uh, throughout the the series. Uh, I mean, Tanner Allen, the freshman first baseman, he slugged over a thousand against Florida. He was just named to the All SEC Freshman Team and the SEC Freshman of the Week for for doing that. I mean, they they just they just slugged Florida to death. That's that's truly what it was. The extra base hit just came. And came with guys on base. You know, they, they turned to – we all know Jake Mangum that the, the lead of this lineup has been for, for three years for very obvious reasons. Uh, but they turned to a freshman at, at the two-hole, Rowdy Jordan. He's a very talented bat. He does a lot of things to drive up the on-base percentage. And, and he showed that in, in the Florida series. He was on base often. Then Tanner Allen's in a three-hole. He's going to be on base quite a lot. So then you get to – the Hunter Stovalls, the Elijah McInnes, the Justin Foskey, or Jordan Westbergs of the world, and they constantly have one or two guys on base. They get an extra base hit. They're probably driving two runs in. And, and like I said earlier, 
10 home runs over 10 games. So they're, they're clearly driving in the run themselves more frequently than, than they ever have before. So the, the short answer of it is they just slugged Florida to death. And they did so with some pretty unfortunate pitching throughout. That shows just how good this lineup is right now. Well, and, and Brett, you keep saying freshmen. This is a very young club for uh, Mississippi State, and they have played particularly well against top ten opponents, high RPI opponents. Really, they've played better in those situations than they have against some of uh, their midweek or some games that you thought maybe Mississippi State should win. Um, I'm not really sure how you can solve that mystery. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to know. Uh, I mean, uh, against top ten teams right now, which the only top ten teams Mississippi State has played are Ole Miss, Arkansas, and Florida. Against those three teams, they're a combined nine and one. In all other games, as I did the math really quickly, they're what, 22 and 21? Mm-hmm. 22 and 23? Yeah. Against all other teams, <laughs> they're 22 and 23. But against the top ten teams, they're nine and one. Uh, they they've showed up for those series. Maybe those series have come up at very opportune times when they're swinging the bats right. I don't know, but it, it, it's just been perfect for, for Mississippi State. And, and frankly, if you took this team before the Florida series, they were a last five teams in kind kind of team. But even with the six and one against top five teams and uh, twelve and fifteen SEC record at that point in time. They were they were kind of fighting tooth and nail for their NCAA tournament bid, and then you you sweep Florida, you get the huge RPI boost you get out of that. I think they're hovering in the twenty range right now. I don't have RPI in front of me. Uh, they're they're a guarantee uh, into the NCAA tournament right now. They could they could lose their Tuesday game in the SEC tournament against LSU and, and still get in. You you mentioned the the freshmen. I, I did want to touch on them. Uh, freshman first baseman Tanner Allen. Uh, he started basically all year. In the 10 games against top five teams this year, he's hitting 375, slugging 650. Wow. Freshman Rowdy Jordan, he took over the left field role probably a third of the way into the SEC schedule. In those games against top five teams, he's hitting 357, on base 419, slugging 571. Uh, they've alternated between freshmen Justin Foskey and Jordan Westberg at third baseman. Both of them have been hitting pretty well. Uh, Foskey better than Westberg against these top 10 teams, but overall there's a reason they've alternated, right? They're, they're both hitting pretty well. Um, Justin Foskey's got a 257 batting average. Jordan Westberg is at 253. Um, they're, they're just incredible. And frankly, all of this has been without another freshman, Josh Hatcher. Josh Hatcher took over the Southern Miss series to begin the season. He was the talk of college baseball, arguably, after its first weekend. He went 6 for 10, no, 6 for 11 against Southern Miss, even though State got swept. Right. He left that, that series with a 545 batting average in his first weekend in college baseball. He's fallen off the bat. His, his batting average has dropped down to 253, but Mississippi State is counting on all these other freshmen, four of them, in the starting lineup more or less every single day. Uh, and, and it's clearly working. They haven't shied away from the top ten uh, opponents they face, and they've done nine and one record against them. And and Brett, just following along uh, on Twitter, which if if you would, you can tell our uh, listeners as we wrap uh, how they can follow you on Twitter. But I saw, I believe it was on your Twitter account, where State announced that they're going to throw Pilkington 
tomorrow against LSU. We're based in, in Picayune out of Pearl River County, uh, not too far from Hurley and from East Central where Pilkington prepped. Um, just kind of tell us about that matchup with Pilkington and Mississippi State against maybe one of the more motivated teams in all of the country coming into a conference tournament uh, in LSU. They really need a win. Yeah, you're, you're right. That's what makes this game super interesting. I mean, you could argue that Mississippi State has the, the hottest bat in the country right now, definitely in the conference, but LSU could very well be in a win and you're in, losing you're out kind of situation, both for the SEC tournament and the NCAA tournament. Literally their entire season is, is riding on this game. That's what makes this really, really interesting. Uh, so to get back to the question of Connor Pilkington, um, he, he was he was vintage Connor Pilkington to start the season. There's, there's a reason he was Mississippi State Friday night eight as a sophomore, and he was just awesome in that role last year. And he, he got off to that kind of a start this year. He has regressed a little bit uh, over the course of the SEC season, but these are SEC bads. You, you come to expect that, uh, you, at least in the numbers. Uh, but we're, we're, we're talking about a player that has regressed to a 4.3 ERA. We're talking about a player that has regressed to 87 strikeouts in 83 and two-thirds. And that, that proves where Connor Pilkington is uh, right now. The, the control has been hard to grasp at times. I mean, he's hit six batters in his last three outings, although most of that was in a, in a really rough outing at Alabama. Uh, he kind of got back to what we expect out of, out of Connor and his outing against Florida. Uh, he went six and a third, uh, gave up three runs, and only five hits allowed struck out seven in, in that outing. But, I mean, there's, there's a reason that Connor came into this season, looked at as a potential first-round draft pick, and will exit it as a guy that is almost certain to be picked within the first five rounds, if not maybe the first four or the first three. It's because the, the stuff is off and he's, He's a classic tall left-hander, uh, so he doesn't have to bring 97, 98 miles an hour because he's so tall and he's so long. He can make 92 and 93 look like 96 and 97 coming out of his hands just based on the extension. His, his breaking ball remains the strikeout pitch that it always has been. He pitched for the USA Collegiate National Team over the summer, and I did a big story in, in the preseason. He went over there dedicated to work on his changeup because all of last year he was more or less a two-pitch guy he, he had a changeup he would use it on occasion but it wasn't something he threw a lot he, he really worked on that changeup over the course of, of the summer with the usa national team and in the fall here at mississippi state and and it's showing dividends I mean, he, he's not afraid to go to that changeup he, he's never going to be a, a felix hernandez type who uses their changeup as their best pitch, but the fact that he has that changeup, that at least an average changeup relative to his competition, it's not a little bit better than that. It makes him really, really hard to hit. And, and yeah, LSU may have gotten to him a little bit uh, in, in his outing in Tiger Stadium. Uh, not in Tiger Stadium, in Alex Fox. He gave up uh, five runs and six and two-thirds innings, but he struck out six that day. Uh, so clearly there is something about this LSU lineup that, that Pilkington can solve. He, he clearly needs to uh, in, in Hoover, though, because they're, they're looking at him in a big way because the Saturday game against Florida, they had to use six relievers. That, that bullpen could desperately mm. use 
six or seven innings out of out of Connor Wilkinson on Tuesday, and he's going on short rest right. for the second time in as many weeks. That's it, it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of stuff he has for for LSU because it's one thing to go from Friday to Thursday. State schedule last year was actually so weird that they went from Friday to Thursday a lot. They played a lot of Thursday, Friday, Saturday series last year. So Connor is probably as used to going from Friday to Thursday as anybody in the nation. Nobody is used to going from Thursday to Tuesday. That, that's going to be yeah. fascinating, and it's something we should see in the first couple innings, right? That seems yeah, to absolutely. make itself pretty evident pretty quickly. Yeah, that would be a very interesting matchup there as LSU really has been terrible away from the box. So to see yeah. how he pitches against them uh, tomorrow – Will be interesting and interesting is your uh, Twitter follow, man. Let our listeners know how they can follow you, uh, Brett. And then next Monday night, we look forward to recording this podcast again with you after we see exactly where Mississippi State is situated in the bracket. And then we can kind of air out what you see going forward for the Bulldogs. But in the meantime, tell our listeners where they can follow you, Brett. Yeah, I might be some news out of this. Uh, out of this baseball program after the season's over, huh? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm on, uh, yeah, no kidding. I'm, I'm on Twitter, at Brett underscore Hudson. Everything is, is easy to find there. Uh, uh, our work is posted on cdispatch.com, but if you follow me on Twitter, at Brett underscore Hudson, it's very easy to find there. I'll I'll bring the work to you. Just just follow me on Twitter. I'll, I'll bring the coverage to you. Well, we certainly appreciate your time tonight, Brett, and look forward to visiting again with you next week. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Brett. Thanks, Brett. And once again, that was Brett Hudson, uh, Mississippi State beat writer from the Commercial Dispatch. Uh, Clay, Mississippi State comes into this. uh, They actually do have to play on Tuesday, but they come in as the number nine seed facing a a familiar foe uh, in the SEC in uh, a number eight seed, LSU. Yep, and they play an LSU team who's really been terrible away from the box. They have played uh, not good baseball away from their home field advantage there. They're going to have to change that, really. Uh, you don't say this a lot of years, but if they want to make the tournament, they're going to have to change that. Probably need a win against State and maybe one more uh, to make the NCAA tournament. State's in securely after the sweep of Florida. Their RPI numbers and all these different matrix that uh, – you'll hear this time of year are off the charts. Now, their their record and the way that they have played at times under some of these freshmen haven't made some Mississippi State fans happy, but the Matrix and the RPI and all the stuff that comes along with being an SEC club are there for Mississippi State. Mississippi State 31-24 and 24 on the year, 15-15 and 15 in SEC play, but they did sweep. This past weekend, the number one team in Florida, as you just heard us and Brett break down. And so we will have Brett back on, as you heard in that interview, next week. And we will have um, Brett on. We will also have Jason Munns on with the Hattiesburg American. And then we will have a beat writer that follows Ole Miss. And we will break down exactly where each one of these teams, one of these in-state teams, and how their brackets look for the future. Should be a lot of fun for next week's episode. Yep, it should be. And just uh, just to go back and touch a little bit on Ole Miss, uh, their game, uh, they like I said, they have that bye. They play Wednesday. And I've got an approximate time of 1 o'clock. It depends on how early the game, you know, when the game ends the time before. And also Mississippi State – 
uh, when they play LSU, it will be Tuesday at 4.30. And once again, all the games, the early round action, quarterfinals, and the semifinals can be seen on the SEC Network, and then the championship game will be on ESPN2. And as we coming down the state, uh, Clay, we come uh, we come home to Southern Miss, the University of Southern Mississippi Golden Eagles, thirty nine and fifteen. Looks like they have secured the number one seed for the Conference USA tournament, and it looks like they're going to face the number eight seed UAB to open up Conference USA play. Yep, uh, Southern Miss, a very impressive weekend up at Marshall. You heard our last guest, uh, Jason Munns, with the Hattiesburg America. Uh, described that he thought they would get a sweep up at Marshall, and that's exactly what Southern Miss did. Scored 10 runs on uh, Thursday, Friday, seven runs, and then 18 runs on Saturday, as they did a Thursday, Friday, Saturday to end the season. As you said, the one seed as they won back-to-back Conference USA titles and just a dominant run through the conference, 23-6 and six in conference play. Really need that to continue. The, all the matrix that we described for Mississippi State are on the other side for Southern Miss. Southern Miss needs to have a good weekend down in Biloxi at this conference tournament. In my mind, it's, it's about seeding at this point. Uh, they're securely in the tournament, I believe, but need to, in my mind, go in and win that tournament, that Conference USA tournament, be a strong two-seed. And by what I mean by that is being a strong two-seed, maybe you avoid getting sent to Oxford and Ole Miss with Ole Miss maybe being a four or five national seed. You that's the, you just try to avoid those higher national seeds. And if you're a strong two-seed, uh, maybe the the powers that be favor you, which would be a rarity if right. you're a Southern Miss fan. The, the powers that be normally uh, do not favor uh, us little guys down and in these uh, smaller conferences uh, with less of a budget. But that would be a nice change. Well, for the past couple of years, what, it's been Baton Rouge and Tallahassee. So, you know, you're trying to avoid some of them bigger schools, as you mentioned. Yep, and uh, other good news, you talk about uh, Southern Miss going back-to-back conference tournaments. Uh, we're recording on a Monday evening earlier today. The uh, C Spire Ferris Trophy was presented to Nick Sandlin, uh, the dominant Friday night guy for the Southern Miss Golden Eagle. Sandlin put up an 8-0 record, 1.25 ERA. That puts him second in the nation for ERA. 122 strikeouts. That puts him at eighth in the nation. And he's get number one in whip. Uh, 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 just dominant pitching statistics for uh, the Sandman, Nick Sandlin, a guy that had worked in relief and some long relief, and he has just been dominant transitioning to that Friday night role for Southern Miss. And that's a pretty good luxury to have to know that you're going to be up in a series 1-0 basically every time that guy's taking the mound. He really – set the tone for his year and Southern Miss's year that first Friday night against Mississippi State where he was just had electric stuff and uh, was able to help Southern Miss sweep Mississippi State in that first series. So congratulations to Nick Sandlin, a, a prestigious award as there's so many good college baseball players in this state. And in a year where 
Ole Miss in the Baseball American is ranked number four. Uh, Southern Miss ranked number 17 in that poll, Mississippi State number 25. So that just goes to show you the amount of talent in the state. And for Sandlin to walk off with that award was fitting and well deserved and a, a feather in the hat of, of all Southern Miss fans. Yep, you're exactly right. And it's just, it's just, uh, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, when Southern enters this tournament, once again, the number one seed Southern Miss Golden Eagles face the number eight seed UAB Wednesday at 4 o'clock. And all the games are down in Biloxi at Trustmark Park. I mean, I'm sorry, that is not Trustmark Park. I'm thinking of Jackson. That is the Shuckersfield MGM Park down there where the Biloxi Shuckers, minor league affiliate of the Brewers, play down there in Biloxi. So, um Trust Mark, they're gonna owe us a check Trust for that Mark, one. That's that right. Free, free we, me at Well, there. we've been in Jackson so much <laughs> playing up at Pearl, so it's just kind of natural to say. And all the games uh, for the Conference USA tournament will be seen or can be seen on ESPN three dot com and the Watch ESPN app. And also, the championship game will be uh, one o'clock Sunday and can be seen on CBS Sports Network. So. Should be a fun uh, fun week with State, Ole Miss, and uh, Southern Miss playing baseball. Yeah, we're going to try and lay our eyes on some of those ball games, Jeff, if Mother Nature will cooperate. Uh, a lot of moisture supposedly coming up out of the Gulf later this week. So uh, these start times are probably real right. iffy and real <laughs> questionable. But if uh, Southern Miss can get that win – on Wednesday, that would really set them up nicely. And the before-mentioned uh, Nick Sandlin would be on the mound against UAB, who all Southern Miss fans know UAB can ruin a good day uh, from out of nowhere. So uh, Southern Miss, of course, will, under Coach Barry's leadership, be geared up and ready to go, and they better be. Is that 8 seed Blazers you would think would be an easy afternoon, but UAB's ruined a lot of dreams for Southern Miss fans through the years. The past is uh, – we don't want the past to come back and bite us on this one because the Blazers uh, have been known, like you said, to ruin a few dreams. Let's step real quick, uh, Clay, and go over to the Major League Baseball side of the of baseball. And, you know, once again, the Yankees are, are ahead, the AL East – 30 and 13 um, right behind them Boston at 32 and 15 so they're kind of running away with it on that side of the uh, of the American League but you come down to the West man you talked a little bit about it today you got the Astros sitting at 30 and 18 and uh, you might be setting up it's too early in the playoffs they play so many games but you could be setting up so big to see another maybe Yankees in Houston. American League Championship game just about like they had uh, last year before they went and faced the Dodgers. So, uh, American League is pretty stout with them, uh, just them three teams right there. Yeah, you just look at those records, as you've mentioned, in the East, and both the Yankees and Boston off to such a hot start. And then we knew Houston would be there again, and they are Verlander's numbers. And then uh, that lineup that they put together, that Astros uh, – club really good and I, I i notice each week we start out on that american league side and you make <laughs> me wait to get back over to this national league side but we're there now and those um baby braves atlanta 28 and 17 on this rebuilding year best record on the national league side and uh me and my little man over there he comes with me as we record these podcasts we were uh 
had a great day of worship at church uh, Sunday, and we're coming home just kind of chilling out. My Braves are getting hammered by the Marlins. I went to turn it off two or three different times, but I said, well, it's Sunday afternoon, just kill time and watch this. And the Braves score six in the night. I've seen it. Me and E-Man's jumping around. He's got a little – He's got one of the old school little foam chops that uh, that we use during rally time in the ninth, and it came through for us. And uh, Dan's, we got that hit, and he threw the chop in the air, and we were all <laughs> running around. Man, it was a, a great Sunday afternoon there, and uh, the Braves are providing some uh, memories for for my little guy that uh, I was able to have. It, it reminds me of that '91 season so much, where. The Braves just came out of nowhere, really uh, a pitching staff that got ahead of itself. Everybody knew they were coming and were going to be really good. We're probably a year or two out in front. And now with this lineup and so young, two of the younger players uh, that start in all of Major League Baseball with Obbies and Acuna, and they are just dynamite to watch, man. So fun. Yeah, we're going to, as we venture out of the – the baseball talk. Clay gets excited over there. He's wearing the Braves shirt again. I'm gonna start calling it the podcast shirt every time we're recording. He's got the gray Braves, Atlanta Braves T-shirt on. So maybe. Hey, if they quit winning <laughs> and people quit listening. I'll burn a sucker. Maybe. But until then, I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with it. We're gonna talk a little bit about something that not a lot of people from the South talk about, and I follow it just because it's a passion. I, I like it. Me and my son. Uh, tend to watch it every chance we can. Uh, I kind of grew up watching it on the coast back when they had the the hockey down there, the old Mississippi Seawolves. I was there in the building when they won the Kelly Cup down there. Uh, so hockey is something that's, that's close to me, and we're just going to touch a little bit about it, uh, try to touch every fan base. Uh, you know, can't never tell who might be listening. So uh, just to get out there and touch a little on the hockey – and you can't talk hockey without talking about the Las Vegas Golden Knights, the expansion team uh, advancing to the 2018 Stanley Cup. They beat the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, Winnipeg Jets is also a relocated team uh, in the NHL, and the Golden Knights beat them 2-1 to one in Game 5 to win the series 4-1. to one. And just some stats that a lot of people may not know, may not follow, but the goalie, uh, the goaltender for the Las Vegas Golden Knights is Marc-Andre Fleury. He stopped 31 of 32 shots, making it his fourth game in a row with 30-plus saves coming into with the playoffs. So I mean, when you have somebody like that between the posts, it's just it's hard it's hard to get a shot pass. So he, he let one go by, but he was able to stop the other 31. And then now the Las Vegas Golden Knights is just setting back uh, they're awaiting the winner from the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Washington Capitals. Uh, Tampa Bay leads that series 3-2, to two, and actually they're going to play tonight as we're recording this. So uh, maybe that series will be over and, and Vegas will um, Vegas will see who they're going to play. Vegas coming out the west. They're waiting on the east opponent for the Stanley Cup. And just a little tidbit of information is the uh, the Las Vegas Golden Knights is the second expansion team in all major league sports, NHL, NBA, NFL, and the MLB since 1960 to reach the championship in their first season. The other one was another hockey team. It was the 67-68 St. Louis Blues. But at the time of the St. Louis Blues, there was only 12 teams in the league, and they took eight to the playoffs. So it's, it was a little – it's kind of a little – 
a little fluff stat right there, if you if you would say, because of the way that worked out. Uh, and and I think it's interesting in the, in talking a little bit about uh, Las Vegas is because I think it's we've seen it passed down last week from Congress uh, or the week before about the the opening up the betting and the 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 sports betting books opening it up to the different states and all that to create revenue. That's what they're going to try to do is get money out of it. We know it's all money driven. Uh, but just Las Vegas itself, it opens it up to other franchises. We know the Raiders are going to be coming over from the NFL in a couple years uh, to have an NFL team based there. We already see the NHL team based there. So with Vegas doing and the support they're getting from that town, it's going to be coming up. Uh, you might see an uh, uh, NBA team coming. You may see a baseball team later. Uh, I know they got the college there, UNLV, right down the road from the strip. But um, – it's just opened up so much for Las Vegas, too, with seeing a franchise like the Golden Knights succeed the way they did. Well, give us the eyes, Jeff. You've got them wrote down there. <laughs> I do have some betting odds. And just from the Las Vegas sports book, at the opening of the season for the inaugural season of the Knights, they opened up at 500-1. to 1. And wow. right now, some of the book the books in Las Vegas stand to lose – Quite a bit of money <laughs> wow. if the Vegas Golden Knights uh, continue this uh, this precedent run that they're on in their inaugural season to win the Stanley Cup. So, just a, like I said, it might not be everybody's cup of tea, but it's something that I'm passionate about just because I've, I've kept up with it for so many years. So, And you set uh, up all this darn equipment little so hockey, you can say what you want to say hockey, about it, sir. A little hockey talk for you there in South Mississippi on a 94-degree <laughs> afternoon. Look, Jeff, I appreciate the hockey talk there and the, and the passion uh, I don't necessarily follow hockey, but it does give me two of my uh, favorite TV personalities. One is Barry Melrose on, on uh, ESPN with his stuff with the sports centers. With There's not a whole lot of sports center left that I like, but I'll take him and what Scott Van Pelt do at night. I can I can get with those two guys and, and what – what they're serving at that late uh, sports center. And then also uh, I love to study play-by-play voices, whether it be radio or television. And hockey has, in my mind, if not the best, one of the best, and Doc Emmerich. He he could walk me through a phone book, and I would be fine with that. Just calls the action so beautifully. So even if I don't know uh, exactly – what I'm looking at, uh, Doc Emmerich uh, lays it out so beautifully that I'll, I'll tune in just to hear him talking about it. And so um, if you're into that sort of thing, uh, I would definitely recommend checking out those two guys. So we will now get a chance to visit uh, with head baseball coach over at Southeastern Louisiana, the Lions, Matt Riser. Matt's a picking guy. Uh, Played his Little League here, his high school here. He won a state championship for Picayune High School back in 2002. Competed with uh, the Pearl River Community College Wildcats, much like our guest two episodes ago with Ryan Hughes. He also played college baseball at Tulane, was fortunate enough to be on a great Tulane club that made it out to Omaha. And then from there, 
got into his coaching career, and we will go through. I'm going to walk Matt. Matt kind of knows this. I'm not sure that he's fully <laughs> aware, but I'm going to walk Matt Riser all the way back to his Little League days, and he's going to bring us all the way up to date with his coaching career. So can't wait for the opportunity and for y'all to get to listen to uh, this in-depth chat with head baseball coach over at Southeastern Louisiana, Matt Riser. We've got head coach Matt Riser of the Southeastern Lions. And, uh, Matt, first of all, dude, we appreciate the heck out of you taking time. We know that you're over in Sugar Land, Texas, and that y'all are preparing for y'all's conference tournament. And you've got a million other things that you could be doing, but we appreciate you taking time for the podcast tonight. Clay, man, anytime, buddy. I always appreciate you guys reaching out. Uh, also trying to uh, get the word out there about us, and uh, you know, obviously, and listen in on a few, uh, a few uh, episodes there before us, and then you'll do a good job with it. So excited about being on here, man, and get the chance to talk uh, baseball for sure. Matt, let's. Uh, this is going to be a little bit different. Uh, I know I got a chance to see you on. Uh TV last night visiting with Doug Mouton. He he doesn't know you quite like I do. We're going to go back in the day a little bit uh, to get started. I appreciate getting to see that last night, man. That, that was well done and a good pub for the school and also for the program. Yeah, no doubt, man. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm glad you got a chance to watch it, man. But like you said, we got a little bit more history than uh, than me and Doug do. So <laughs> you got something that's probably good stories about childhood and uh, I often watch it grow up, watch it play a little bit. So a little, little bit more uh, personal, I'll spend this level of this conversation on what's done last night. Well, most of those stories we can share. Some of them we can't. We'll stick with the ones uh, for our <laughs> listeners and, and followers that, that we can share. Matt, as I thought about visiting with you tonight, I, of course we want to get to where you are today, but I wanted to start back, man, and – we had your buddy Ryan Hughes on a couple episodes ago. Uh, had a chance to actually visit with quite often Richard Emhoff. I know one of your former uh, teammates. And it kind of dawned on me, man, to, to talk to you about y'all's Little League days and, and what a stout club y'all must have been able to put together for some of the Little League All-Star days and uh, just kind of describe the – the coaching y'all were under, the commitment and the community here in Picune, and and really the expectations for a young age for the group that you came up with here in Picune. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, Clay. Uh, probably one of the most special groups you'll ever see, in all honesty. Just, and like you said, hit the nail on the head. We were able to start doing it at a young age. From the T-ball days where Rick Imhoff, Rick's daddy's coaching out there, you know, and, and turning into left-handed hitters. And uh, we just, we were extremely fortunate to have a group of dads uh, and some others that were, weren't dads out there that treated us all like their own. Uh, you know, they, they weren't out there to, to win the World Series. They were out there to make us better as uh, off the players, teach us the fundamentals of the game, and just teach us how to compete, man. I think that was part of the neatest part about it, and they didn't, uh, they didn't treat their own kids different than us, man. They treat us all the same. I think that's upbringing, to be honest with you, being in that type of environment for so many years, all this coming up at the same, same time, really made it for a special run there. Once we got to high school, uh, we were so used to playing with each other side by side and uh, just really valued uh, and cherished the relationships we had with each other, but also with those, those dads. Now we got to watch it turn us over to high school coach, Coach Kirkland and, and, and 
uh, John Dobson and you know, and King uh, Stockstill and, and getting a chance to watch us go and, and do our thing and being proud of us, man. Uh, I think they were they were there as many games. I know my dad was uh, at almost every single game, and a lot of those dads were to watch us grow up and uh, obviously do go do our thing there in high school. And I think it was just it's something that's missed now, to be honest with you, something I missed uh, being a college coach. having to go out off through There's so much travel baseball now that's really starting to water down some of that traditional rec ball league stuff, just kind of the good old back forward thing, man. Still always pick up and get dirty, just enjoy playing the game. Uh, we're not out playing for, for trophies or rings. We're just playing the game because we love to do it. And uh, I'll see those values that were instilled in us at a young age and affect coach staff. Oh, gosh, man, I could name a thousand of them. John Hughes, Ron Daddy, and Jerry Scott Smith, and Amos Fowler, you know, as crazy as some of those were. <laughs> they had out there with the potato ball trick and <laughs> you know, just all the good stuff, man. They promised the, the right things to the game. And just, uh, you know, something that you couldn't, uh, couldn't script up any better than, than what we had. And we were very fortunate to have that off the upbringing. And, Matt, we won't – I mean, that's a separate podcast and we'd love to have you on for uh, Travel Ball. And But I do – I mean, with this new podcast, I've gotten on social media more than I would have liked over the last month. And, and I'm not banging on uh, Travel Ball. Look, I was never good at any good at any ball, so I'm not here to bang on that. But you do see these kids awarded uh, these rings, and the ring that y'all was awarded – it may have been y'all's first ring was at – 2002 class 4a state championship ring and that is a lot of that same group correct me if i'm wrong that you grew up playing uh all stars with and city ball with and um yeah that had to be special yeah, it really was man and like you said it was it was that was our first ring we had we had tried uh so many years in high school and you know, obviously from being there in junior high with Greg Wall's days, and they were so good. And uh, obviously uh, LJ and, and those guys, and to John Dobson, those guys, man, they just, they're in Bubba. They, uh, you know, more and more teams just kept bringing up, uh, building that program up. So finally we were able to do it, uh, you know, our senior year, and we valued and cherish that ring at a ton. I think it means a little bit different to win a ring now, go to a three-team tournament, you win it, you get a ring. But that's, like you said, their podcast for a different day. But, yeah, no, we did. You know, we had Lance and Donnie Keller, Ryan, the Cody Stogners, and all of us, you know, Matt Pent. We all grew up playing together for so these years with all four teams and just playing the right ball. And don't even learn anything, man, just look back to how competitive we were. Uh, boy, I used to love the school days, man. Just in the rec ball days where we'd talk trash to each other. And I think that was part of the neat part about it. We were so competitive in that environment. was was built that way for us to be so competitive. Uh, by the time we finally got together, man, and, and got to the All-Stars, uh, we were ready to beat everybody's time. It was nice to be around and surrounded with big competitive people. Uh, but also that carried over to high school baseball. And, and Coach Kirkland, and in all honesty, uh, you know, and Coach K knew a little bit of baseball, but, man, he knew even more how to motivate us and how to get us to do what we needed to do. You know, and not every day that we went out and enjoyed it or necessarily liked it. Uh, but we definitely sure appreciated the back end of it, understood it, especially as we grew up and got older. And we, it made for a lot of good stories. Uh, but, again, just the, the relationship we have with each other, being able to do that from a young age, and creating that culture and environment, being able to, to go into the high school program uh, where that was valued as well, I think just made a really nice and, and neat uh, experience for us through the high school days. 
and then Matt from there. Uh, some of those relationships and some of those uh, teammates carry over to your next step, which was Pearl River Community College. Talk to us about your time. Uh, we really got a chance to air it out. I hope you got to hear some of that uh, with Ryan and his time there with Coach yep. Ortiz. Kind of speak to us of what that time meant for you there with Coach Ortiz and that Pearl River Community College Club. Yeah, you know, um, uh, Ron was fortunate enough to get inducted to the Hall of Fame there uh, a few years there before I did. I was fortunate enough this past year to get inducted there as well. And, uh, you know, it was so funny, kind of my personal experience going through it. I worked really hard school-wise, academic-wise, and, you know, I didn't want to go junior college. I wanted to go to four-year school, start my degree, and, uh, and I'll be, you know, Tried to parlay that with, with the baseball and academics to, to get somewhere, uh, and then Jay came into our life, and uh, you know he, he convinced me as a young, arrogant, fifteen-year-old kid, uh, thinking I was going to you know, take down the world. Uh, hey, man, you know come here, come here. It's, it's close to home. Your parents can see you. You get to continue to play with some of these guys that you built this relationship with at you. And I think, honestly, that was the selling point. Uh, I, I kind of got over going to college route from an academic standpoint, understood, hey, man, I get one shot at this baseball deal. Mm. You know, i got to have academics the rest of my life. And, uh, you know, this is probably the best route for me to go. And, again, he sold me on, you know, playing with Ryan Hughes. Uh, you know, and obviously uh, Richard M. Hoff and those guys, you know, another year uh, from then uh, after I graduated. But, you know, just, again, probably the best coach I ever played for as far as, the game, uh, a guy I thoroughly enjoyed uh, being around. That I didn't think I could learn much more after, uh, you know, LJ, to be honest with you, what he brought to our program there at Pickney, and he taught us so much baseball. And we were prepped, and we were ready, and we were, uh, you know, uh, head and shoulders above and, and, and more prepared than everybody else that came into that program at Pearl River. But even more the game that we learned, uh, obviously, through Jay and his style of play, and very similar to what we did a little bit in high school, but just to be able to take it to another level, man, and to be able to do that two more years there close to home. Uh, in all honesty, my first fall there was a little bit bitter uh, because of the academic situation. And then once we got the ball in the springtime, my freshman year, I fell in love. And, and I just, uh, a place that I fell in love with it, I cherished, valued a ton. Uh, that by the time I finished off my two years there, I wanted to turn to a four year university. We kind of talked to uh, Dr. Lewis to take it school so we could just stay and have to go anywhere uh, and keep playing together. So it's uh, also a really neat experience. So I didn't realize the challenge I'd have there academically as well. Math and class part there extremely tough. Uh, probably the hardest teach I've ever taken for any class. Mm -hmm. Dr. Stead, physics class there. That for forever. So also I got the education I was I was being for as well. And then best part of life, I met my wife there. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, it's, it's funny how God's plan works out sometimes. It's, you know, I worked with a guy who didn't want to be in college baseball. But to be honest with you, it gave me everything that I needed for, for uh, off-season life. And, Matt, from there to Tulane and part of doing my research to talk to you, I mean, I followed your career. I knew that y'all went to Omaha in, in your career there at Tulane and under the legendary coach Rick Jones. But talk to us if you would, about just how dominant uh, y'all were at Tulane. I mean, I was going back through looking at uh, some of the numbers in your stint there. You are on some awesome teams there under Rick Jones at <laughs> Tulane. <laughs> yeah, I really was. 
uh, again, man, just super fortunate. You talk about playing for a guy who's a, a Hall of Famer in the state of Louisiana, uh, who's a Hall of Famer in the National Coaches Association, the ABCA. Uh, obviously, a man who built a program there at Tulane. After Joe Brockoff, he kind of uh, you know got it back to the map a little bit. Uh, Coach Jones took it to a whole nother level, man, and made it a national mainstay. And uh, you're right, man. Talk about loaded. That's that 05. I think we didn't have seven big leagues. I'm not talking about, you know, hey, you got drafted to play a little bit of pro ball. I'm about seven guys actually made it to the big league. You got a couple of calls. <laughs> wow. You know, they stayed up there for a little while, you know. And uh, I kind of figured out why I was the defense replacement on an 05 team. That's <laughs> a little more chance. That's kind of level I was playing with a little bit different level. Um but, you know, again, just another opportunity for me to go and do my thing. Uh, I remember not playing in the uh, alumni game in 05 uh, and kind of trying to figure out why. I hadn't talked with Coach Jones yet. And he grabbed, and grabbed me after the after alumni game. Hey, big guy, you know, we need to talk real quick. So, I, you know, I had no idea. I thought maybe I did something wrong. And I remember sitting down in his office after the alumni game. Hey, you know, you're the only position guy didn't play. And here's why. We're thinking about redshirt. I think we have a chance to, you know, for you to come in and be a defensive placement, have a role on this team, or also you can register this year and play two years where you'll probably be a starter both years. But just one of these years, man, we're loaded. We can stick a bat out there and score some offense. By the time we get to you know, lead to separate in it, you go out to, to the outfield and go play some defense. And say, Coach, you tell me what I need to do to make this go to Omaha. Mm-hmm. You think that's a, a true role that we need to, to make this team go to Omaha? I'm in. I'm in. I'll, I'll do it, and I'll do it to the best of my ability. And when the opportunity comes, I'll just take advantage of the opportunities that I get. And uh, he said, I don't believe we're going to need you, man, to do that. And and he was. He was he was truthful on it. And I played in 40-something games there that year out of the 60-something we played. Uh, and I also was very fortunate to, to make them run to Omaha and do our deal. And, you know, it was pretty funny, man. All these expectations of what Omaha was going to be and playing in Rosenblatt uh, for so many years, probably for over for a decade, because uh, we started watching probably at the house every day, you know, eight, nine years mm-hmm. old, and really started kind of latching in on it. Uh, boy, it exceeded all expectations, man, from the, the private charter flight in to it all, you know, you know the, the greenway stuff everywhere, the, the green and all of everywhere else we went, uh, that town, and just how, you know, Omaha, I didn't realize being a old boy from Mississippi how big Omaha was. I think it's like the size of Big Uh They got a million and a half people. Boy, that's way bigger than Big So, <laughs> You know, I had no idea what, what to expect when I got there, but uh, all these, you know, exceeded all that for us. Just uh, experience of a lifetime, to be honest with you, and, and obviously something that I thrive uh, to do for, for our players, you know, to get our program at the same state and get us there. And uh, I think we built this program slowly but surely in that direction uh, to where that, that's a serious conversation now for us year in and year out when we go prep uh, there in February. And, and Matt, one of my questions, and you've kind of led me into it, with your coaching and playing uh, days, is there like a goosebumps moment or a moment where, like you said, a, a guy from Picayune kind of looks up and says, wow, am I like, is this real? Am I supposed to be doing this uh, right now? But uh, it, I'm, you've kind of mentioned that being a moment. Are there others along this journey that you've been on? Man, I, I can I can't tell you how many countless experiences there's been uh, where I do I've got to pinch myself. Thank the good Lord for the amazing ride He's put me in and put me on. Uh, but probably one of the more, more special moments, probably one of the most special moments, was probably Father's Day. And to be honest with you, uh, it was actually our day we had a chance to have a lunch with Oregon State on that Saturday, and 
uh, for, for Father's Day on that Sunday. We had the day off. The other side of the bracket was playing that day, and we took the team on a on a boat and had a steak dinner uh, there on the Missouri River. And it was me, my dad, and my two little brothers, man, for Father's mm-hmm. Day. And I guess it uh, just got everything in perspective, you know, to hopefully one day have ambition to have my own kids and uh, being there as a coach one day and do being able to do the same thing with my kids, you know, maybe 20, 30 years from now. Uh, uh, it was just uh, probably a, a really surreal experience. It was uh, obviously extremely enjoyable because when you talk about, again, being eight, nine years old, we started this journey, you know, watching this thing on TV to now we're sitting on the Missouri River eating the steak. Uh, right in the midst of the thing on Father's Day, I thought that was a pretty neat experience and uh, a goosebump, a goosebump moment, like you talked about. Mm, that's special stuff, man. And uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up Dr. Riser and the uh, support that he's given not only uh, you and your brothers, as you've mentioned, but so many in this community and uh, the things that he's done uh, to support many in this area. So uh, we so- certainly appreciate Dr. Riser and what he's done. Here and so Matt, we've almost got you into your coaching career. We we're gonna bring up that you did uh, earn a degree in what bio uh, medical engineer. Are you the smartest? You've got to be the smartest coach on the planet Earth. Is that correct? Yeah, or, or the dumbest baseball coach on planet Earth to do that route. Uh, there's a lot easier degrees to go besides do that to be a baseball coach. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I got that degree in biomedical engineering, and you know I'm hard headed a little bit. Uh, I don't, for some reason, I don't like the easy route. I, I like <laughs> to challenge myself a little bit. That was definitely a challenge. Uh, I didn't really know if I was going to graduate. But in all honesty, between us and on this podcast, I let the world know that uh, <clears throat> you know it was two weeks after graduation that I actually figured out I graduated. I had one class at the medical school, took a couple extra weeks to uh, <clears throat> to grade. So. <laughs> You know, when they're asking about, hey, you're going to walk? I'm like, no, I'm not walking. Uh, I just knew if I walked, I was going to jinx myself where I didn't make a good grade in that last class. I wasn't going to truly graduate. I was going to have to wait a whole other year to take that class and retake that class. So, but I made it through it. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a neat experience and it was something to fall back on. But, you know, by that time, by the end of my, my career at Tulane academically, I decided off to get coaching. And, uh, you know, uh, again, something that I can sell our recruits. Uh, you know, and, and the families when they come and sit down with us that, hey, man, we value education. And here's why. Here's my background. Here's what I've gone through and uh, through my scenario, through myself in the situation. And here's how much I value it. Here's why. Uh, and so, obviously, I think that's a big selling point for us, especially when we have our, our athletes come in and they understand. They mean, not sure just to, to play baseball and win championships to a degree as well. Uh, you know, we, we tell our guys all the time, and the sit-down at the table, you know, I hope it's uh, you hang up a big league career at 35 years old and, you know, you've got your multi-million dollar contract. Uh, but the the reality of that, that's just very slim. We've got one guy that started just playing big leagues right now out of our program. We should have two more here in another uh, two or three years that will do the same thing. But you're talking about three guys, and, uh, 300 some kids that I've, I've coached over the last decade. And uh, so the reality of that chances are very, very slim. What are you going to do uh, after baseball's done? You know, after it finishes, you know, you got to have that degree to, to be able to go on and do something else with your life. Uh, and so, obviously, I think that's a big selling point for us, that how much we value education. But I don't have to say it. I, I can tell it because it's been there. And, Matt, we'll move from uh, playing to coaching. But before we do that, I just wanted to, you know, kind of go back some of my memories of, of watching you uh, compete 
And the thing that jumps out at me and then following uh, the club that you're coaching now is the intensity uh, that you competed. I mean, you're one of the best outfielders, uh, high school and junior college and college that these eyes ever laid eyes. I used to say you were the best high school outfielder I'd ever seen come through Picayune, and then I went and watched Braxton Lee a couple times out there, and then that, that became kind of a, a debate, <laughs> you know, nostalgia. No I was like, there. man, I'm going to hold no on to Matt. But <laughs> yeah, there ain't, there ain't no debate now. That one played the big league. That was better. Uh, and I'm glad. I'm glad he's better. I told him that he was better when we were coming too. So, no, it's uh, yeah, it's just need to watch him. I'll take over those reins there in center field and do his deal as well. Matt, what I was getting at is is that education level, the way that you used to react, and I would say as a ninth or tenth grader, but on through your career, I mean, baseball is a sport. You know this better than than most. You you succeed three out of ten times. That's pretty good. Four out of ten is really good. But when you made an out, you would have thought, you know, that the world – so, not that any of that footage would be laying around for your uh, student <laughs> athletes to get a hold of, but the way that reaction, man, you were about as intense as it got out there. Yeah, you know, it goes back to the old deal, uh, the old saying, play, play intense, not tense. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's just the personality that I was. Uh, I was high, high competitive in nature, and a lot of us were. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, sometimes other guys were a little bit better. And uh, keeping that inside, I, I obviously wasn't very, uh, wasn't uh, collected enough sometimes to keep that within. But yeah, again, that that was the player I was. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a guy who loved the game, uh, who played with a lot of energy, and, and that sometimes came out in a negative uh, sense. But nine times out of ten, it came out in a positive sense. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I think the teammates around me fed off that. Absolutely, um, I, I think that helped me uh, as a leader and helped. Uh, help those guys understand how much it meant to be, not just for me, for all of us. Um, and I think that's why a, a lot of guys, in all honesty, uh, followed me as a player. Uh, you know, they, they knew how much, uh, again, uh, it wasn't just a game to, to go out there, hey, man, it's not a not, not a district game. Who really cares? You know, if we win or lose, it's not the state championship. I just took everything with the same intensity. I didn't know any difference, to be honest with you. And, uh, yeah, so that fiery kind of carried mm-hmm. over to my coach style as well and i think that was the best advice that i got from you know coaches that i've played for he had a as a coach that you played with you can be really really good at this a lot of people will follow you in the same direction they did played and uh i've tried to keep that about myself obviously i've had to mature a little bit since the temperament uh, but, but again you know we, we get fired up and we, we have some energy and we get some competitive moments that comes out again but i think that's what our guys thrive off of you know in all honesty, you know, for again, from a recruiting standpoint, um, our, our club takes up two personas of the year, and it's to be one, you know, the mentality of the head coach, the base of the head coach, what his personality is. Uh, two is the leadership that you have, you know, and the players themselves. So we try to do recruiting-wise, we try to recruit similar players to what I was, you know, uh, because we feel like if, the, if my mentality and the leadership mentality are matching up or two of the same, uh, we have a chance to have a lot of team chemistry and also have a lot of success and be able to go the way we want to go. Coach, now we'll get into uh, to your coaching uh, career and what you've been able to do and continue to do, uh, Coach Artigues. 
and uh, your ties, are, of course, are known. And, and he was building something, and then I think that he would say and that you would be comfortable to say uh, that you've continued that direction. Uh, you're looking at your fifth season right now, and y'all have been to three NCAA tournaments. That's uh, pretty impressive. And y'all are coming into this week's tournament as the two-seed in the Southland Conference. Just talk to us, uh, Matt, if you would, about how that transition – kind of took place and what it's been like to continue to build the momentum that uh, Coach Artigues had going there at Southeastern? Yeah, probably got to start back in the beginning, to be honest with you, when Coach brought me in. Uh, and, and again, it was uh, the program was not in the state at all, so it is now. and He was trying to get this thing rebuilt. Um, and when he brought me in, he said, hey, man, just go find dudes like yourself. Just, just find guys that are bought in. Maybe a little less talented, that's okay. You know, I'm not really worried about the talent level, you know, you know, we can get to play at a different level. We can get them to overachieve, so to speak, and uh, and maybe play a little bit better than what their talent level really is. But if they're bought in the way that you were bought in as a player, man, go find guys like yourself will have success. And we did. Uh, in all honesty, my very first year before we got a chance to recruit that first class, um, we had some talented individuals, uh, but not just not everybody bought in the same direction that we had built there at Pearl River, same culture we had built at Pearl River. And so we try to go find those guys. And the big thing about this, uh, in through the years, uh, we have slowly but surely gotten a little bit more talented, but still with that same basic package of the characteristics and what the makeup is uh, from the guys that we're recruiting. And, you know, uh, like you said, they got a lot of respect for him, man. Um, he kind of got to a point in his career where, where he was missing out on games for his two boys, and uh, we had a serious sit-down conversation. You know, we're uh, you know, Texas State, San Marcos, and we're playing for, for championships. And he honestly was, would rather be watching his two boys play than, than, you know, compete for a championship. Not that he didn't enjoy being there for right. a championship, uh, you know, but just uh, that family, man, those kids meant so much to him that he didn't want to miss out anymore. And said, hey, man, I, I need somebody to take it over and, and take the thing another level and, uh, you know, and, and do be here and, and be the same way where I could be with his boys. And said, you got it, coach, you know. You know, I'm all in and how loyal I've been to you since day one and uh, you know how much I believe in what you've built, the system you've built. Uh, so uh, he had the opportunity to be our athletic director. Uh, he had some thoughts of trying to be the AD and the baseball coach. I think at one point in time, I think realized, you know, the reality of it was that he just didn't want to get back uh, again to the kids, the boys. They were getting to the high school years to watch the high school games and be able to follow them around and coach them a little bit more before they got into that uh, time period of their life. So, uh, you know, obviously I got the opportunity to take over at 29 years old. At the time, the youngest head coach in the country in baseball. And, uh, you know, obviously just extremely fortunate to be able to have that opportunity. Not very many do uh, get that opportunity at that early age. But, uh, again, just wanted up the thing. Wanted to take it to another level. Uh, that competitive nature, again, came out at me. And uh, I had to, again, go find some guys. You know, to be on my staff to, to figure out the same stuff. Hey, man, here's what we're trying to identify with. Again, we're getting a little bit better talent-wise, but don't don't uh, sacrifice who the young man is, the competitor, what he is. Don't overlook that part of it. I think that's our, our best attribute of what we have when we evaluate kids. We find the most competitive kids around to come to our program and do what we need to do. We have also a lot of expectations for them. Uh, we also demand a lot out of them, you know, not only on the field, but outside the class to me as well. And 
that's just all stuff that, that Coach Ortiz kind of instilled all program, a foundation that he built, and build a foundation based off those principles. Uh, it's something that's trouble. Continue to build on and continue to make better. And it's pretty deep to be able to sit there and say that, that the foundation was built off of principles and, and those ethics, home rules, and that mentality. Uh, and that's why we've been so consistent year in and year out. Uh, as opposed to some programs that have, have dumped gazillions of dollars into the program and trying to figure out why they're not winning uh, because they're, they're trying to rely on dollars uh, on, on something that is in all reality. Uh, the world around, but it is really invaluable. Uh, you know, the, the, the biggest part of this is getting the right guys in our program and build that foundation. And uh, it'll be here for years to come. You know, whether I'm, I get hit by a bus tomorrow, I tell the guys all the time, you know, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, I expect to go the way it's supposed to go and, and, and be bigger and better. Uh, and so, obviously, with that foundation and what Jay built is why our program is the state it is now. Matt, you talk about the foundation. You've talked about your relationship with uh, Coach Artigues and then uh, playing under a great coach there at Tulane and Coach Jones. I want to know the base running and the aggressive style of play. I mean, this is a team in the top ten in the nation year in and year out with stolen bases. Uh, and y'all steal them when others don't, obviously, to put that number up. But I know your nature uh, intense. Talk to me, if you would, about where you picked up this aggressive style of coaching on the bases and, and what it does for you maybe when a team's down a little offensively when I look at normal baseball numbers as far as hitting with average and different things like that. Just walk me through yeah. your mindset. Yeah, you know, obviously uh, the base runner stuff, Dave was really good at the base runner stuff. That was kind of a little bit of his forte. For many many years, uh, and to be honest with you, it just got turned up a tick because because my aggression, uh, just who I am as an individual, and and, and probably because of my hardheadedness a little bit as well. Uh, you know, it's just one of those deals that I've, I've tried to learn and soak up as much as I can for the program. You know, I got a chance to speak this past year at the national convention for the ABCA, where I spoke in front of six thousand coaches about what we do and how we do it, some ideas and, and thought processes and. Uh, you know, it's funny, I have to talk for an hour. You know, I still need another 10 hours to discuss the situation. But I had coached coach come up to me I think it did seem, you know, that, that complicated, you know, in, in theory, you know, what you're trying to, you know, get through to you guys. And so it's not. It's just being able to implement it, be able to get them to be convicted in what they're trying to do and give them some ownership of it. Uh, and also get them aggressive, as I am, you know, from a mindset standpoint. Um, and it is. It, it's a part of our offense that we've tried to make sure we create every single year because whether it's a year like last year where we you know, led the league in home runs and the top 50 in the country in home runs, 60 homers, uh, we're still going to steal back. I and mean, it's still what, a part of what we do. It's part of what we try to recruit because whether the wind's blowing in or the wind's blowing out, you know, play, they don't tell you how you got to score runs. They just tell you to score one more run than the opponent. Uh, whatever style we can do that. If it's bang with you one day, then that's fine. If it's another day where we got to get five hits, find a way to six runs, then that's fine too. Whatever situation we can create. And uh, to be honest with you, you know, for us, that average has been down the last few years. Really never has really been a you know, mainstay at the top of the conference, but still look at run scored. We're always up there in the top of run scored. And, you know, the reason for that, uh, because we have a lot of guys that understand self with the bat. Uh, they get to run a third less than two outs. Hey, man, I know I got two strikes here. I don't need to try to hit one of the gaps and get my head. I just need to go ahead and put a ground ball in the base and at least get this guy in. we got to at least pick up the run. 
so we have guys that are extremely selfless in the style of play uh, that aren't worried about batting average. You know, they're more worried about helping the team, help the club win in that moment, uh, and I'll see, you know, what we can do again offensively to score one more run. Uh, you know, we did it this week. We banged it out with South Alabama, who's a really good hitting club. We banged four homers and went 12-9, and then all of a sudden you looked up on Friday to be the number 20 team in the country in Houston. Uh, we had to bang out five hits and six runs or five runs uh, and, and produce a little bit. We produced it with a drag bunt and, uh, you know, a couple walks and another sack bunt, and then we split a gap for uh, for two runs double to take the lead. So, you know, a part of this manufacturing is figuring out how to, again, to make it the, the most dynamic offense we can possibly be. Uh, and we talk about being a complete offense. I think when you got guys who, who can hit a little bit, who can run a little bit, uh, then you got an offense that can also be extremely scary that can strike you in multiple ways. Matt, this is this is Jeff here, and you, you touched on it a little bit, and I was going to bring up, you finished the regular season with that split against the top 25, actually the 20th-ranked team in Houston, and you're coming into the Southland Conference as the number two seed, and you're playing an in-state rival in Nichols for your first game of the conference tournament. Talk a little bit about the mindset of your ball club. I know you're on the road right now heading uh, to Sugar Land for the tournament, but as the number two seed coming into the tournament, where, where in your mind is the ball club and where is the state of mind uh, for the ball club coming into this tournament? Yeah, to be honest with you, Jeff, it's one of these deals uh, that every year the RPI has been in our favor. So we've been fortunate enough last year to get that large bid. And uh, just for some reason, I, I, didn't, I didn't put as much stock into the home away schedule. We played 33 home games this year, which is more than any other year we've ever played. Most home games we've had since I've been there in the last decade. And uh, we played similar opponents. You know, last year we played Rice and Vanderbilt. This year we played UConn and, and Houston, who both uh, uh, Houston won the American Conference. UConn's probably going to be a host next week when the regional fights come out. Uh, but we played at home as opposed to on the road. So our RPI's down. So we had a kind of stretch there mid-April, early April, where we lost ball games we shouldn't have. We, we lost seven out of eight, uh, kind of got in a, you know, that stretch adversity-wise. We kind of hit a, hit a wall a little bit. Has things to figure out. Uh, I think the neat thing in that moment, are we able to convey the message to the guys? Hey, man, you're the right guy. This is this is why you recruited this program. Not to go good when it's going good. Anybody can do that. If you handle moments like this, be able to turn the season around and also uh, look at the end of the year playing our best baseball. And they've done that. Uh, in that as well, we were able to identify. Hey, man, just throw the at large stuff out of out of out of the out of the window. Uh, you know, we're not playing for the World Series every single day. In years past, sometimes it feels like that because we are a bit major fighting for the RPI. Every game's so valuable, especially at the end of the year. Uh, but this one year, man, that stretch we had, we took ourselves out of consideration from that large standpoint because the RPI was going to be too low to ever jump back into that large conversation regardless of the quality wins we'd had down the stretch. So they've been able to focus on, hey, man, let's go play our best baseball. Let's do our best to, to continue to win every weekend, continue to fight for our, our regular season title, which we put ourselves in a position. Uh, to the last weekend, you know, San Houston had to win it the very last weekend and, uh, also finished second up in the, in the conference. Uh, but, uh, and then also to finish on a good note this week to go into tournament play. Um, uh, we feel like we got a club that's built to win a tournament, uh, with our starting pitching the way it's been. We've got five two starters, uh, in our rotation. Our bullpen's extremely deep. Uh, we've got Peyton native, uh, Peyton Lee in the back end of the bullpen there. We're on some 93s, 95s up there as well. So, this is this is a staff that we've been extremely excited about. 
knowing that if our offense can get halfway decent of, of what we know their identity is, uh, this would be a very, very scary postseason team. So uh, to go into this tournament knowing that, playing good ball the last five weeks and uh, be able to take care of business to, to split a series there off you with Houston, number 20 team in the country, and uh, going into this tournament knowing what our identity is, knowing what we're at, knowing what we have to do with our backs against the wall. Our guys responded well to that so far this year. So, uh, to be honest with you, I think we're, we're in a good spot right now. Uh, obviously, we know we're going to get a really good game out of Nichols. It doesn't matter what kind of year they've had or what kind of year we've had. We could have won every game. We could have won a game. And vice versa, uh, it's always going to be a battle to close. And to be honest with you, that's what kind of started this threat. You know, we got into a, a Friday night kind of tight match and some things were being said from both sides a little bit back forth and it just it really got that look back in our guys' eyes again. Uh, that fire, that fight back in their eyes. They have stopped since then, to be honest with you. So uh, they started the fire to end the season. Uh, they can light the fire for us to make this run in the tournament too and go get this auto bid to win the, the, the South tournament. Coach, you talk about as we're visiting with head coach Matt Riser of Southeastern Louisiana, uh, the lines from – what do you all say over that way? From Ham in America, uh, Matt, is that Ham right? in America, baby. <laughs> Ham in America. Only, place in, the only in. place in America. <laughs> uh, tell, tell us, Coach, you've got uh, a guy that has been on fire. I watched your coach's show uh, doing prep and – this guy, his last four starts, I think, has only given up uh, three runs. Corey Gaconi, am I am I saying that correctly? Coach is going to take the bump on Wednesday Corey, for y'all. Yep, yep. Corey Gaconi, uh, he is a junior right hander um, that unfortunately had kind of got off to a little bit of a rough start. And to be honest with you, it wasn't his fault. He, he he's kind of a guy who, who pitches to contact, and uh, we didn't play really good defense behind him earlier in the year. Some of the clubs we play, uh, I'll see if give a few extra outs, so they'll make you pay for it pretty quickly. Uh, but we knew what Corey was, and to be honest with you, he was our best guy there. Your friend was just a guy in last year's regional club. Uh, you know, came just shy of 10 wins and got our, our win at uh, game one against Bryce in the regional Baton Rouge last year. So we knew it was there, and Corey's a veteran man. He does a really good job of, of not trying to be too analytical. He's an extreme competitor. Um, he didn't. He didn't go dome job on us, man. He, he just continued to work. Continued to know that opportunities arise throughout the season. Uh, he worked his way back into rotation. Uh, we had a kind of short week with Easter. Is when he kind of got back in this deal. Made his first start in conference play. We kind of started him on the midweeks. Had a really nice start there against Mississippi State, uh, where he went and actually complete game against them to beat them down there at MGM. Another top twenty-five team we beat there at the time. But uh, you know. It was a short week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, because of Easter. And, you know, with our, our guys in college baseball, you put them on a, a week rotation, basically. It's not like uh, professional baseball. It's a big league with a five-day rotation. So we wanted to keep that. We wanted to keep our guys consistent with that. We knew Corey's experience. Uh, he was starting to pitch pretty well. He pitched a game already against uh, Mississippi State. So we decided to uh, hold him out uh, for a bit-of-week start and start him Thursday in, in the conference game. So they ended up lining back up pitched back half of the conference, man, and then, like you said, he's been our best guy uh, here kind of as the back half of the year. Uh, we've made a really nice run here. The last Sunday for us, uh, he's gone out there against Sam Houston to won our conference. It's an extremely offensive club. Uh, one, uh, get one run to them. Uh, I don't think he's going to bounce, if I remember right. 
yeah, actually shut them out uh, at their place. And then we went to Central Arkansas, another club that was really hitting our league, was, was leading our league and, uh, and run scored uh, and went, gave up one run in another complete game effort that as well. So uh, kind of the way this worked out uh, with this, this two-game set instead of the three-game set with Houston, he was starting game three for us in the, obviously in the conference uh, series. So we were able, hey, man, you went 119 pitches against Central Arc. You're going to get a 10-day rest. We'll throw a bullpen in between. And uh, you got game one and get this thing started off right uh, against the good Nichols club. Uh, the Nichols club had had, had hit uh, had hit Josh Green, our, our normal Friday night guy, and it all started pretty well that Friday night. So uh, it'll be a good matchup before they go out there with these left-handers. He does a pretty good job with them. They get a pretty left-handed line out. So uh, all the chips kind of fell into place for us for this matchup on Wednesday. Uh, Coach, uh, we've talked defense, we've talked base running, we've talked pitching. Uh, offensive, not base running, but at the plate, a guy that jumps off the stat sheet. And then I've actually heard you a couple times here over the last month mention his leadership ability. And that's Drew Avens, a guy with uh, 10 home runs. He's batting 337. He's stolen over uh, 20 bases. He's accounted uh, for 50 runs uh, himself and then also has 43 RBIs. What a year that young man's had for you. Hey, special year, man. And, again, uh, like you said, you've heard me in some other uh, broadcasts that I've spoken about this young man. But, you know, when we're in that, that moment of adversity, uh, this this game means a lot to this young man. Uh, this game, know, he knows it's his senior year. Uh, I think the young man should get an opportunity for professional baseball. I think he's proven it. Uh, we'll see how that happens. June comes around, but he's very well aware of this to be his last football and last opportunity ever played against baseball. And we had a had a breakfast conversation. You know, hey coach, I want to talk. You know, uh, I just uh, I don't know where to go with this. I'm trying to lead this club, trying to figure this thing out. And we sat down at breakfast one morning, man, and just had a very mature conversation. And and, and I conveyed a few things to him and, and told him you know, a few pointers. I said, but and honestly, Drew, man. Leadership is something that's born within inside of you. It's hard to for me to tell you how to do leadership. It's something you got to feel and you got to own up to. And uh, again, in that moment against Nichols, man, he just uh, he's always been a guy who's led by example, uh, always done the right thing, always try to tell his, his teammates to do the right thing. Uh, but some came over and, and he realized where where the season was going, and realized he had to demand that out of his face. Um, and, and the accountability, you know, wasn't, hey, I'm going to tell you anymore. I'm going to make you uh, do what you're supposed to do and, and make sure you take ownership and accountability for it. And just really made this whole whole thing start going back in the right direction. Uh, and not only, you know, when you say stuff like that, Clay, and you do that around your teammates, uh, it, it's, a, it's a very volatile situation because you go out there and you don't have success and all mm-hmm. your teammates might get you. Like, hey, man, yeah, you're just a guy who just runs his mouth. You really don't back it up. He's the guy that, hey, man, I told you what we're going to do. Uh, make me hold accountable. I'm going to do it my damn self as well. And, uh, boy, did he ever, man. He's just he's gone to a really nice stretch here uh, where he's really taking ball games over uh, off the field, but he's taking a dugout over, taking the club over as a leader as well. And just a young man I'm extremely proud of. Uh, not, very, not very often get a, get a chance to coach a young man like this. Uh, was up for player of the year uh, this past week that, that – uh, they had voted on, I think, his uh, third to voting for players this year. And uh, I tell you, man, he, he's been a spark for us that we needed this back stretch. Obviously, uh, taking the uh, club on his own wing. 
Coach, last question. Uh, just got to thank you again for joining us. I wanted to give you a chance to thank uh, your folks, too. You know, being a Picayune guy and then seeing um, – my wife's family, uh, she actually has family over in the Hammond area. And I remember when Coach Artigues was there, started building things, and uh, they named you as a coach. I said, yeah, it's coming. You know, these pick you ties, he's going to do. And then uh, to see what Coach Ladner, uh, you know, his ties yep. with Stanislaus, and to see the way they performed this year. It's just really special to sit over here in Pearl River County and see what's going on about 50 miles from us over in Hammond. So we're certainly so proud of you, man, and what, what y'all have been able to accomplish. And it looks like the people Appreciate over that. in Hammond are too, man. I see some uh, stuff about maybe an attendance record set this past year there for your home slate. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it was, man. I tell you, uh, what's been neat about this, you know, we talked about building the program off the foundation and, uh, you know, where, where Jay is such a fantastic leader. He's obviously surrounded himself with, with people with inside this department now that believe the same way we do as a baseball staff and obviously what he brought in with us uh, and what he's always believed to surround himself with. And, you know, we, we've got from our marketing director, Vince Kramer, uh, who does an absolute dynamite job. I, I'll be honest with you, we've done Vanderbilt, we've done the Rice, we've done LSU, we've done uh, all these other places, right? And have seen their game day ops and atmosphere. Uh, ours is second to none, man. They do a fantastic job of getting the crowd to interact. Uh, our, our video board is, uh, they have a lot of fun with, uh, it can be a little touchy at times, maybe, uh, <laughs> but they, they do, they do have a good time with it. They make sure they're getting people who are, who are non-baseball people involved. Uh, it's a very family-oriented atmosphere in our university and in our town there in Hammond. Uh, and so it, it's allowing families to come out with their kids. And hey, go down to the bounce house. Go have fun down there. We've got—I don't know where all these kids come from, man. After the game, you know, we're flashing the lights and everything else, and high five after the win. And I look out on the baseball field. There's probably a hundred kids running around the bases. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's an atmosphere. We come, sit back, enjoy good baseball. We play a, a fun style of baseball. It's gonna keep going head deep. Uh, we play really good competition, obviously at home. Uh, and it's the place where you can kids just go do their thing. You know, they're safe uh, because just the Again, what our town embraces, family atmosphere uh, that our town embraces, uh, you know, they welcome everybody with open arms. It helps us get the attendance up, obviously. Uh, I think what we what we recruit uh, in the state of Louisiana, they bring a lot of their families in, right? I think our shortstop brings 40 or 45 <laughs> family members every game with all their Destrehan people. Uh, and there's the way they open everybody with open arms. We do bring a young man from Chicago or bringing a young man down from Washington, or bringing a young man from the West Coast in, uh, you know, they feel like they're they're at home. Uh, it's just that good old hospitality, that southern hospitality that we have. And, uh, and then, you know, also we got the cook club at the end. So when you get there, you get to play good and have fun, you get to eat good too. So I think that's a big part of it as well. But it's very, very uh, appreciative of those people that believe in us and have been there all year long and the good times and the bad. Matt, uh, you talk about family and atmosphere. That's certainly, you know, what I consider you. And uh, Jeff and I appreciate the heck out of you spending 45 minutes with us, man. Uh, you got to do Right here it. before y'all South Line Tournament, man. This is so appreciative, and this has been an awesome visit. Thank you, Coach. Man, you got it. I really appreciate you guys having me on, man. And anytime in the future, if you want anything, man, just holler at us. We got to get you guys over to Hammond, man. This, uh, this atmosphere we talk about.
Yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to do a, a, a <laughs> podcast set up somewhere in the uh, bleachers out there, and we're going to get Emhoff and them out of ear sight from us. <laughs> so we won't get in there any trouble. We'll bring a little crew with us. How about that? <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. Appreciate it, Clay. Appreciate it, Jeff. Y'all love uh, it. Thank you, Matt. Right, thanks, Coach. Good luck, Coach. Bye, buddy. I appreciate it, buddy. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode brought to you by Robertson Brothers. Stay tuned for more episodes in the weeks to come.